0: Thank you for tuning in to our podcast this morning. This is Pastor George down in the church office, Sunday morning, getting ready for our service. I hope you decide sometime to come out and just be with us in person. I realize, you know, with all the pandemic things going on and, uh, you know, we're trying to stay home and, and protect ourselves, and I get that. But things are getting a little better and we do our very best to stay COVID safe here at the church. So please come down and see us sometime we would love to have you today we're in acts chapter 16 we've been in the sermon series that i call acts of the holy spirit of course it's the title of the book is acts of the apostles so today we're in chapter 16 and again it has so much uh value to the lives we live today the apostle paul it's it's his story now it's pretty much he's taken it over Even though Luke is doing the writing, the Apostle Paul is the main actor. And it's really some amazing stuff. I hope you're enjoying uh, following along with this series. Uh, Go get your Bible. If you're sitting down at home, get your Bible, open it up, turn to Acts chapter 16. If you're driving, just uh, continue to listen as you drive. Meditate on these things as you're driving down the road. The other thing I'm going to try to do today is I'm going to try to uh, incorporate into this podcast uh, today's Communion Sunday. And I'd like you to take communion with us. It's it's very simple. It doesn't have to be anything particular. You can go get a little piece of bread, a little cup of water, some grape juice, some orange juice, I don't care, a little bit of milk, and just set it together. And as we take communion, take communion with us. And, you know, it's it's a very precious time, and I'd like to share that with you. So we're going to do that today. It'll be at the end of our message. Uh, Be prepared to take communion with us. God bless you. Love you guys. I can't wait to see you. I think I'm going to stand for now. So we are in the book of Acts. Chapter 16. If you have your Bibles, you folks that are at home, grab your Bible and follow along. Everything that the scripture is going to be on the screen behind me. This is Paul's second missionary journey, 49 through 52 AD, as recorded in Acts 15, 30 through eighteen twenty-one. is this span that we're going to be looking at. Paul is accompanied by Silas as they were joined by young Timothy. Timothy is going to become part of the message, and I'm very excited about that. Because of the we passages, and you're going to see some of these in this, in this chapter 16, there's some we passages. Do you all know who the writer of, of Acts is? It's Luke. So we're believing, I'm believing, and this, I agree with a lot of theologians because I, I did my best to look this up. We don't know for sure, but because the, the language has changed and said we were traveling, we were doing this, that makes me assume that Luke was there He's the writer, that he was there, part of this journey. You can take it any way you want. The Bible doesn't make it completely clear other than those terms of the we passages. Some scholars believe that Luke, you know, definitely is the author of the book and is part of Paul's party now. This missionary journey has taken Paul from Jerusalem north to Antioch to Syria and then westward through the interior of Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. A vision of a man from Macedonia, uh, from Macedonia, modern-day Greece, caused Paul and Silas to cross the Aegean Sea to go there. We're going to see that in verses 9 through 12. This introduced the gospel to the continent of Europe. Had never been there yet. For the first time, Turkey is in Asia and Greece is in Europe. It's very interesting how God orchestrates the direction in which they are to go, and it talks about that. So let's jump right in. Let's start with Acts 16, verse 1. Then he came to Debris and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed but his father was Greek. Now, you have to look at the writing and kind of think about what Luke is saying here. I'll tell you what it says to me. His mother believes in God, his father does not. That's what he's saying, because look at how he says it. He said, a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father did not. I mean, if he did, he said his dad was Greek and he was a believer also, but he is not. Verse 2 he was well-spoken by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium. Do you remember these cities? You Remember when Paul was stoned and left for dead? And I believe probably was dead and the Lord raised him up. That was in these cities. Paul, verse 3, wanted to have him go with him. And he took him and circumcised him. Because of the Jews who were in that region for all knew that his father was greek i don't know about you guys is this interesting do you remember last week the big battle the battle that went from antioch all the way back to jerusalem all over this circumcision idea that there were there were jewish people out there saying you can't be saved you can't be a christian unless you are circumcised and and paul and and the others, Barnabas and everybody that was with him, they threw a fit. It was an ugly, ugly fight. And they said, no, that's not true. It's a circumcision of the heart. It's... And, and, they, and they won the battle. And the Jewish elders in Jerusalem agreed. And they wrote these letters saying, you do not have to be circumcised to be saved. And what is Paul doing here? He sees this young man who has incredible talent and wisdom for his age. And he says, I want him on my team. I want that young man on my team. So he talks swimming. he gets him on his team. Then he takes him and has him circumcised. What do you guys think is going on? This is really interesting. It was Paul who was arguing this very point because he was saying it didn't have to be circumcised to be saved. It's hey, saved. He said because of the Jews that were in that region knew Timothy's father was Greek. So I think there's a key there. There's something there that that tells us what's going on. Before you start judging Paul, I believe he was protecting Timothy from persecution from those who would say he's not even a Jew. His father was Greek. And I think Timothy could probably say, yes, you're right. My father's a Greek and I'm still working on him, but I am a Jew. I'm circumcised. I I don't know that's the one thing that just hit my mind. But Paul explains this later in 1 Corinthians. Listen to his words. 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 22, it says, For I am free from all men. I have made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. Wow. Verse 20. And to the Jews, I become a Jew that I might win Jews to those who are under the law as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. Verse 21, to those who are without the law, as without the law, not being without law toward God, but under the law toward Christ, that I may win those who are under the law. Verse 22 is going to speak the whole thing. To the weak, I become weak, that I might win the weak for Christ who he's talking about that I might become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some, that some may come to God because I am all things to all men. I believe that Paul was protecting Timothy and he's saying this would be better for your ministry personally if you were circumcised. It was just a personal choice. It was a personal decision. has nothing to do with Timothy's salvation, nor does it mean anything in the realm of the overall picture, except Paul is a wise man and knew what things need to be done to the audience that he is trying to reach for Jesus Christ. In fact, you're going to see at the very end of this message where Paul uses his Roman Romanatomy... I don't know how you would say that correctly, but he is a Roman and he uses, because he's a Roman, he can take advantage of being a Roman citizen. He's all things to all men, as we should be. We don't judge a person by their skin color, by who they serve, by what they do. We are all things. We love all things. So I believe that's what was going on, why Paul was so insistent to have Timothy circumcised. And Timothy agreed. Acts 16, verse 4 says, And they went through the cities, they delivered to them to degrees to which were determined by the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem. Do you remember those, the degree, the letter? It was about things offered to idols, Things strangled, and and really the things strangled, what they were talking about is not eating meat with blood left in it. That the blood was the life, and you don't eat blood in the meat. So if, if an animal was strangled, or how Jim so appropriately put it, roadkill, you don't eat that, okay? Because it doesn't have the blood drained from the body. And then the other thing, which was pretty common sense, sexual immorality, he said, you keep these three things and you will do well. They were making it to work because the Jews tried to put such restrictions. In, and I kind of get where the Jews were coming from. You know, for all their lives, they were worshiping in the synagogue and sacrificing and, and, and doing all the Jewish laws, doing they couldn't keep a one of them, but they were doing their best to try to keep them. And then all of a sudden, Christ dies, and these Christians walk in and go, Hey, I'm saved. Wait a minute. You haven't been doing all that I've been doing. You have to be circumcised and you have to kind of follow along the rules. And no, that wasn't the case at all. And we need to be a lot kinder to those people who are coming to Christ. Not condoning the things that they do, but don't be condemning them either. Let God make the changes. You don't have to get cleaned up before you get come to church. He cleans you up. I got saved and I was, I was in church and I was still smoking and still drinking a little bit, not telling everybody, making, making a big deal out of it, but it took time for God to clean those things out of me. It takes time. It's a process. And if somebody had condemned me, I probably would have walked away. But I was lucky. I was in a church that loved me for exactly who I was and where I was and what I was doing and said, that's all right, brother, you'll get better. You'll learn, you'll grow. And I did. And here we are. So verse five says, so the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased number daily because everyone now is welcome. Everybody can accept Jesus Christ and come on into the church. He'll clean you from the inside. Verse six. Now, when they had gone through Perga, the region of Galea, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the Word in Asia. Forbidden. How do you think they were forbidden? I, it's, it's interesting. I think probably these, these guys were prophets. It'd be my guess that it was word of prophecy, that they were forbidden to go. No, you're not going away. The Lord says we cannot go there. So OK, they turn direction. And verse nine, oh wait a minute. Seven. And after they had come to Mesa, they tried to go into Bethanya. Thank you. But the Spirit did not permit them. Okay, first it forbade them to go, and now it did not permit them. I think it's pretty easy to understand. You ever tried to do something and the doors just keep closing? They just close. They just close. The doors close i want to go over there and the door closes there was a period of time and joe and i were fairly new newlywed and i don't know if you guys remember we weren't I, I don't even know if i was associate pastor here yet we took a road trip to idaho and we bought that little tiny trailer remember that little tiny trailer it was so cute we drove all the way to idaho to get the thing and it was a road trip we did it four-day trip or something like that and we just camped and went and just had a ball buying that thing and every little country town because i love country every little town we went through and we came back the long way around went through all through nevada and stuff and saw these little valleys and little towns and there would be a little church there i said man lord i'd love to pastor that little church man this little town look at this it is just gorgeous it's just rivers running through and everything's going along and we're just enjoying the drive saying, Lord, that's all I've ever wanted. You know, he gave me the desire of my heart. Look at where we live. You drive down to Tuolumne Road just as you pass the high school and you look at this little valley. What do you see? It is absolutely gorgeous. And here right in the center of the town is a little Baptist church. And look who's pastoring it. And I was intending, I honestly, I was searching. We Did I not go online to the Baptist, you know, the national? I that was applying for churches all over the country. All over the country, even way up in the Badlands, man. We were up there in Dakotas applying for churches. They'll, they'll take me in the Badlands. <laughs> I got as far as a phone interview. The guy called me up and he says, where are you from? I said, well, I live in, well, you know where Sonora is? He, well, no. Uh, near Yosemite, but towards the valley. Okay, what's the temperature outside? It was a winter day. I said, "What's about 65 degrees. He said, no, son, you won't survive here. I said, what are you talking about? He says, 22 below now. You're going to die. You can't come here. I said, you sure? That was a pretty good interview. He said, no, you can't come here. Can't we just come visit? No, you can't come here. What was the Lord doing? He was closing doors. He had a plan for me to be right where I stand today, and it just seemed like, Lord, you hear my heart. What I what I'm called to pastor people and to love on people. You know, why do you keep closing the doors? Hmm, no answer. I think He had a plan. So, what verse am I on now? Am I on nine? Eight? So passing by Mesa, they came down to Toraz. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Lots of names in this. Toraz is a city by the sea, okay? What is it? Troas. Troas, okay. Troas is a city by the sea. They can't go no further. Their backs are to the sea. And they got forbade over there and the doors were closed over here. They can't go any further. What, Lord? What what do you want us to do? So God gave him a vision. Verse 9. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come to Macedonia and help us. This is across the Aegean Sea. This is going to Europe. And so he tells the vision... Now, after he had seen the vision, immediately we, you notice it says we, immediately we, which I believe Luke was part of them, sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. And we know the writer of the books of Acts is Luke, the physician. It's believed that Paul, Silas, and Timothy arrived in Torres, and they picked up Luke luke was believed to have lived in torres troas this was derived by the word we as luke being in the writer verse 11 therefore sailing to troas from troas they ran a straight course to all right somebody tell me that name that is S-A-M-O-T-H-R-A-C-E Semithrace Semithrace hey we know it's a place and the next day they came to Napolius and from there to Philippi Philippi which was the foremost city in that part of Macedonia a colony and they were staying in the city for some days so let's look back to Smith. that term straight course, that's a, that's a nautical term. And that means that the wind was to their backs and they went straight across. That's pretty amazing. It's told, uh, historians have showed that it only took them two days to get across that sea. It took them five days to return, but it took two days. It was a straight course, just straight away, went straight there. there were <clears throat> they were there for some days is what it says. Where the man Paul saw his dream. That doesn't make any sense. But let's go on. There were no Jewish men in the city. And this is how you know if there were at least 10 Jewish men in a city, by Jewish law, they had to form a synagogue. Now, it didn't matter if it was in somebody's house, it was a synagogue. If there were 10 Jewish men in any city, there would have to be a synagogue. They found no synagogue, which tells us that there are probably no Jewish men there nearly at all. Verse 13, it says, And on the Sabbath day, they went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made. Praise God for women. And they sat down and spoke to the women who met there. So the women had a prayer meeting going on down at the river. Because that's where they went to get water and they seen some shade in a nice place and that was a good place to go and worship. Verse 14, now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was the seller of purple from the city of Thyatira, who worshiped God. And the Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. That's a very interesting scripture. The Lord opened her heart. Opened her heart. You know, when you come to church, the Lord has to open your heart to receive. He opens your heart so that you can receive the word that is being given. It is just amazing that God opened her heart. Here she believed in God, but she hadn't ever really heard the gospel. And, and so he opened her heart. John 6, says, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up in the last day. So even Jesus said, you have to be drawn. Michael, God drew you in here and sat you down to hear the living word of God. She was open and ready. So verse 15 says, and when she and her husband were baptized, did I miss it? When she and her household, there we go. Let's read it correctly, George. When she and her household were baptized, she begged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she persuaded them. You know, a good woman can persuade you to do just about anything. You're going to cook for this ragtag? Yes, I will cook. Come to our house and stay. And they did. Verse 16. Now it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave possessed, a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us who brought her masters much profit by fortune telling. So did you guys see what's going on there? There's this girl who has a spirit and her spirit allows her to tell fortunes. How many believe that there are spirits with power out there? There are spirits and they are not of God, but they're spirits that have power. And this girl had power and she was making money, fortune telling, for those who she belonged to. Verse 17, this girl followed Paul and us Notice it said us, meaning Luke is there with him. And cried out saying, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. Wow, wasn't that the truth? Absolutely was the truth. But she continued to do this day after day after day. And I'm sure what Paul is thinking I'm sure he's saying to Luke and Timmy, there's something wrong with that gal. Yeah, but she's saying, she's saying, what's the truth? There's something wrong. I see it. I sense it. I know it. We don't need that kind of advertising. There is something wrong. And she did this, verse 18, for many days, but Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. Wow. How much you want to bet she was pretty excited? She was healed. What do you think her masters thought? They weren't very excited at all. This girl was making them some money. But her masters, verse 19, saw that their hope of profit was gone. And they seized Paul and Silas. Now they didn't take Timothy and and probably Luke. They just took Paul and Silas because they were the main ones. They were the the head honchos. They were Paul's the speaker. Silas is out there setting things up, doing stuff. The other two were just following along. So they took Paul and Silas. They dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities and they brought them to the magistrates. You guys know who that is? The law. They brought them down to the sheriff and said, these men being Jews exceedingly trouble our city. Notice that Paul doesn't defend himself. You don't hear a word from him. He could have at that point said, whoa, guys, I'm a Roman citizen. But he does not. He just plays this out. It's a really interesting thing. And God's given me that inquiry mind. I read that and go, Paul, what are you doing, man? You could have defended yourself here. And it goes on in 21, it says, And they teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or observe. Then the multitude rose up together against them. So there were a lot of people in the city square at that time. And the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. Wow. Today's world, this is called flogging. You ever hear of flogging? Not in the United States, but it's happened. It was in 1994. There was a young man named Michael Peter Fay, an American who was sentenced to six strokes of a cane in Singapore in 1994 for theft and vandalism. 18 cars over a 10-day period in September 1993 he caused a temporary strain in relations between Singapore and the United States. I remember that. You guys remember that? Seeing that on the news, and I'm thinking to myself, kid, take your stripes, buddy. I think if we were to institute flogging in this world today, we'd probably have a whole lot less crime. Could you imagine? Publicly, tear your shirts off and flog them. Fay pleaded guilty, but later claimed that he was advised that such a plead would preclude caning and that his confession, he says, was false and he never vandalized a car. His only crime committed was stealing road signs so he could take home and hang them in his bedroom. Although the caning is a routine court sentence in Singapore, Fay's case garnered some curiosity and was widely covered in the media in the United States. It was believed to be the first judicial corporate punishment involving an American citizen. The number of cane strokes in face sentence was ultimately reduced from six to four after the United States official requested leniency, so they caned him on May 5th, 1994. And I'm sure that boy's a better man for it. You know? <laughs> i was really surprised that America made such... But it's America today, you know. I could always see with the president we have now, he'd probably go to war over something as foolish as that. But anyway, verse 23. And when they had laid many stripes on them, it didn't say four or six, it said many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding a jailer to keep them securely. Verse 24, and having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. Who having received such a charge, the jailer was not taking any chances. He knows these guys aren't major criminals. He knows they're not whatever runners. He knows these are just Christians preaching the gospel, but being careful and diligent, he thrust them into the inner prison the innermost part of it, the lowest, the furthest part of the prison, the darkest, the dankest, the wettest, the lousiest place to ever be. So there were no door, There were more doors and bolts and bars if they tried to break out and get away. So then they placed their feet in wood stocks, wooden machine in which their feet of prisoners were put for security which they call stocks. Some say it was such a one in which this, the neck to, to the wall was fastened as well as their feet, but the word doesn't tell us that. It says their feet were in stocks, which was a wood frame around their feet. Right there, you can see the picture. And the light coming through, I believe it was probably light from a, from a, a lamp that was in the other room. But can you see the stocks that were in their feet? It was brutal. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. Please remember, people are watching you. Especially when you're going through a hard time. They're going to see how you react. They're going to see just exactly what's, what you're made of. You're going through a hard time. You need to be singing praises. What does it say about you when you're not? Would anyone guess that you're a Christian when you're going through a rough time? Does your life say that you're a believer? Even in good times? We need to know who we are. And they need to know who we are. Does your life show it? Would anybody guess that you're a Christian? You know, there's so much to be said about this. And I need to stop talking and get going. There's so much to be said about this. These guys were not singing praises trying to manipulate a God in heaven to release them from jail. That wasn't why they were singing praises at all. They were singing praises because of what Jesus Christ has already done to them. It didn't matter if they, were, if they killed them. It simply doesn't matter. We have life eternal. And yet we get into trouble and we start praying and we start saying, God, you got to get me out of this. You got to pull my son and my daughter out of this. You got it. You got it. You got it. You got it. And God says, no, I don't got to do anything. I've already done it. I've already done it and you need to start praising me for what I've already done. I said I would take care of you, you take care of me by praising me for what I've already done. And I'm guilty, I'm guilty, man. We get into a hard place, I start crying out, God, God, what, what are you gonna do? God says, I've already done it. What do you want me to do? Get me out of this, why? So you be a little more comfortable, you have heaven. You have eternity. You have life that is never going to end, with everything that comes with it. So they're up in heaven. They're in this jail, and they're singing and praising God. The jailers are listening. That all the people that are in prison are listening, and I'm sure that God was up there in heaven tapping His foot to their singing. And lo and behold, there was an earthquake. And the world started shaking. It was an earthquake and suddenly, verse 26, there was a great earthquake. So the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's chains were loosed. I don't know how he got the stocks up their feet, but they were off. That shook pretty darn hard. And the keeper of the prison, awaking from sleep, seeing the prison doors were open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. You guys know why? It was a capital offense. If somebody escapes their prison under your watch, you're dead. I don't care if we catch the guy down the street. He escaped on your watch. You're dead. That was Roman law. This guy was done. He was going to fall on a sword. I wouldn't. Hear. I'm not going to put my family through a court hearing. Nothing. I'm going to end it now. But Paul, verse 28, called out with a loud voice saying, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. That's astounding. Because all the men in the prison, chains were loosed. All the doors were opened and nobody left. Nobody left. Why? Well, because the Holy Spirit is moving in this place now. And they were saying, we got to see what's going to happen now. I ain't going nowhere. This is wild, man. We got to see what's going to happen. What's going on? They all stayed. Verse 29, then he called for a light. This is the jailer. And he ran in and he fell down trembly before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out, brought them out in a place that wasn't so dark and dank and just terrible, brought them out into the air. And he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? You think how you're acting doesn't affect somebody else? Oh, I beg to differ. It changes everything. Especially when you're in a troubled time. Especially when your business is being turned upside down. Maybe your wife has left, your husband's left. You know, your kids are in trouble. There's so many things going on. We need to see how you're going to respond. Because God is at work. So they said... Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And by the way, you and your household. Amen. You and your household. He didn't just say them. He said, all y'all can be saved and will be saved. It's just amazing to me. So they said, believe on the Lord. Then verse 32, he said, they spoke the word of the Lord to him. Then they, meaning Paul and Silas. And they spoke to the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. So now it tells me that they've moved him. He's moved him from the prison and he took these boys home. And I imagine the rest of the prisoners said, "No ma'am, no, no problem, dude, we got the doors. They start closing the doors back up on themselves. Too much has happened here. The Holy Spirit was moving in this place. And he took them, verse 33, that same hour of the night and he washed their stripes and immediately he and all his family were baptized. I'd imagine that was a good old-fashioned bathtub baptism. What a party they were having that night. Verse 34, Now when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them and he rejoiced, having believed in God. With all his household. This is kind of a picture here. Of that supper of the lamb. When we're all in heaven. We're going to be together. And we are going to be rejoicing. We're gonna be rejoicing together. I mean, we are gonna be together at that last supper of the Lamb, just like they happened here. Imagine how wonderful it is you're celebrating with your kids and your grandkids and all the people in the church that you love so much. We're all gonna be together. This is what he has given us a picture of. But then he has to take them back to jail before light. Because, you know, Paul and Silas doesn't want him to get in trouble. So they they had this wonderful night together and he he takes them back in verse 35. And when it was day, the magistrates sent officers saying, oh, by the way, let those men loose. Let those men loose. Now I want you to see the character of Paul. So the keeper of the prison, he was excited. He ran back and he told these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Now, therefore, depart and go in peace. But Paul, 37, Paul said to them, they have beaten us uh, openly and condemned Romans and have thrown us into prison. And now they're going to want to put us out secretly? No, indeed. Let them come themselves and get us out. So you have to understand Roman law. If you punish a Roman citizen without judicial court, it could be the end of your life. You don't do that to a Roman citizen. It's much like what the United States was saying about that young man about to get beat. You don't do that to an American citizen. Rome had very strict laws to how you treat Roman citizens. And these guys didn't know that Paul's father was a Roman. And because he was a Roman, Paul is a Roman citizen. So he tells them, no, 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 you're not just going to let us go. What is Paul doing here? Do you think he's just being, you know, sarcastic? You think he just wants to get back at them a little bit? I'll tell you, he's a mastermind. He's thinking, no, I can use this. I can use Roman law to my advantage. Everybody in the country is going to hear about this. We're still talking about it 2,000 years later. Everybody's going to hear about this. And nobody, while we're in Roman territory, they're going to leave us alone. Or they're going to try us right, and then they'll, they'll treat us right. He knew that this would work to the benefit of his team. Some say, well, it's just not right. A Christian shouldn't use the law. How many do you... Use your giving statement when you pay your taxes. I do. I do. It's, it's a right that the government gives us. In fact, is you know, because I'm your pastor, the government so far hasn't taken it away from us to use a housing allowance. And that's how the church pays me, towards a housing allowance. When it comes in, I pay my house payment, my PG&E bill, my phone bills, and the water bill. All that comes out of my housing allowance. It's non-taxable. And I'm using it exactly in concordance of what the, the government has said that I can do. And that's exactly what Paul is doing here. He's using the Roman government to his advantage. Verse 38, we gotta get this done. The officers told these words to the magistrates and they were afraid for their own lives when they heard that they were Romans. Then they came and pleaded with them and brought them out and asked them to depart from the city. So they went out of the prison and entered the house of Lydia. And when they had seen the brethren, they were encouraged them, and then they departed. Pretty amazing. You know, I forgot to tell you this, this lady, Lydia, she was quite a substantial lady. The seller of purple, she, that was the most expensive color that you could get. That was, she was quite substantial in this, in this story. Could I please get my communion ushers to come on up? I picked four, yeah, I hope I did. If not, I'll pick another. I'm going to keep this with me. Uh, Two of you are going to take... Take one of those and give one to Tim. And then one of you take like that. And the other like that. All right, guys, go ahead and pass out the implements. And uh, those of you listening to the podcast, please go and get you a little piece of bread, a cracker, anything that you can. A little cup of water, a cup of juice, whatever. And take communion with us. Mm-hmm. Normally I cut this off. And I got to thinking, you know, there are people that are home because they have to be at home. And if they're listening to this podcast, they go, I can do that. I can take communion with Pastor George and the rest of the church. It's so important that we, that we do this. Mm. Ah, Just leave it there. Maybe I'll sit on it. Why not? Sit down, take a load off. So while they're passing out the implements and you're at home going to get yours, let's talk about communion. What does it really mean? It's the most precious time in my life to lead a precious group of people in communion. The little cracker represents the body of Christ that was beaten and bruised, bloodied, so humiliated. I it was, you know, they're gracious when they show us pictures of Jesus on the cross. They have a little loin on him. They he didn't have no loin on him. They were completely naked, humiliated, disgraced. Did you take Tony his? Yes. Okay. Take Tony one. Okay. So you think, well, this little cracker, it, it means that much? Yes. It's his body, it's remembering what he's done for you. Father, as we hold this little cracker in our hand, if folks are at home holding a little piece of bread or a little cracker, Father, we hold it up to you and we say it's because of you. It's what you have done. Not about what I need. It's not about what I want you to do for me. Too often the church manipulates or tries to manipulate God to do what I need you to do. Father, I don't need you to do anything. You have already done it and completed it. And I take this to remember what you've done for me, what you've done for them, what you've done for all of us. Father, we ask you to bless this in Jesus' name as we remember. Take and eat. This little cup represents the blood that washes us It doesn't matter what I've done or what I've said. It's where I'm at today. He washes us again. Father, clean me again today. Allow this blood to wash over me, to cleanse me. Help us to remember, to never forget the price you paid, the blood you shed. Father, I can only imagine what the disciples were thinking when you were at that last supper and you said, this represents my blood. I could just see them asking each other, what did he say? Why would he say that? Praise God, we know. He did it for you, Jason. He did it for me. He did it for your daughter. He did it for for you, Michael. He did it for you, Tom. He did it for all of us. He suffered and died on that cross and washed us clean when we accepted it and said, Father, cleanse me. So, Father, as we lift this little cup up, help us to never forget the price you paid. In Jesus' name, take and drink together. Father, I just want to thank you. You've given us one more opportunity to remember. Father, I pray that it'll impact each and every person that's here to think about you every day and the price that you paid. And Father, to turn those situations around. And Father, that we stop trying to manipulate you to do something and realize you've already done it all. If it's your will, it'll be your way. I'm just one person. And Father, you're in control of all of my life. And if I say that, I have to truly mean that. We are so blessed. Help us today, Father, to leave here. And be blessed.